baggage. For as long as we've had stuff, we found ways to bring it along. Baggage started off big, but it got smaller, portable. Now one person can carry more than ever. Important stuff like clothes, toiletries, fancy little dogs, you know, necessities. But what's amazing is how much stuff we drag around that we don't need and don't like. Things that trip us up, wear us out, and box us in. Stuff like anger. What is wrong with you? Addiction. Overeating. And overspending. It was amazing. They had such great sales. I couldn't believe it. We carry around past relationships. I don't know what I ever saw in you. I don't even dress well. Gosh. Worry. Unforgiveness. And selfishness. I think that's a great idea, don't you? I love it. It makes us ask questions like, why did I do that? Or how did I get here? And what is wrong with me? Because this stuff is heavy. It's bulky. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It makes everything in life harder, especially relationships. You might not know where it came from or how you got it, but there's only one way to deal with baggage. Throw it down. Drop it. Just let go. Sounds easy, but it's not. You carry something long enough, it feels like a part of you. You walk away, but a minute later, it's back in your hand. Baggage is tricky like that. You gotta keep dropping, keep throwing, keep letting go, so you can take hold of something better. God's best for your life. And for that, you're gonna need both hands. We run fastest, love fullest, and live lightest when we let go of the baggage. To the well here at STSA, we're happy that you're joining us here. We always say about the well, for those who are just kind of new, is that we believe that the well is for us here today, an ordinary place where extraordinary things happen, not because of the people who are here, as much as because of Jesus, our Lord, who is here, and where people meet Jesus is where lives are changed forever. And I hope that today would be one of those days for you, and every time that you come would be one of those days, no matter how many times you have come, that we never forget the reason that we do come here together. Before I get into today's topic, though, I have a small programming note for everyone here at the well, is that next week we will not be having the well because um, in the Orthodox Church we'll be celebrating a feast of the church on Sunday, okay, which is the Feast of Epiphany. And when we do that, we celebrate with the service on the night before. So next Saturday is a unique, or next Sunday is a unique Sunday where we'll have the service the night before. So we will not be having the well next week. But the week after that, we will come together and we will all be here and it will be a great Sunday because that is the first of hopefully many to come, what we're calling here at the well, Friends and Family Day. And Friends and Family Day is where everybody is encouraged to bring a family member who hasn't come to church in a while or a friend or a coworker, whatever it may be, is the best day to invite somebody. We'll have some extra gifts on hand and extra people at the greeting and stuff like that. So make sure that you start to think of now of who it is that you want to bring. And what we're going to be talking about that Sunday 
We're going to be kicking off a four-week study that Sunday about relationships and friendships and fellowship and community and all these kinds of words which are centered around the idea of how we relate to one another. Because what I discovered is, as I throw a word out there, every church out there in the whole wide world, every Christian knows the word fellowship and friendship and all these things, but we have different ideas of what these words mean, don't we? That you can think to yourself, I'm a great friend, but the person next to you say, that's the worst friend in the whole wide world. You walk into a church and say, man, that's the friendliest church ever. And someone just walked out and they say, those people have no love in that church. Why? Because we don't all have the same definition of what these terms mean. One of the things that we do agree, though, is that regardless of how you define friendships, fellowships, relationships, community, regardless of how you define it, is that we all know that nothing will ultimately contribute to your happiness and satisfaction in life more than your relationships. Agree or disagree? Is that you could have everything in life, the money, the house, the car, the whatever, but if it's empty and there's no relationships and all your relationships are on fire, none of that stuff is worth anything. And the reason is, is because me and you as human beings, we were not created to live as independent. We were created to live as interdependent. And that's why the Bible is a book about relationships. The Bible at its core is a book about how man relates with God and how man relates with fellow man. That's all the Bible is. How our relationship with God should be, love the Lord your God, and how we should have love amongst one another. And anytime we try to separate our success in life from our relationships either with God or relationships with one another, you will ultimately find yourself frustrated and you'll find that you cannot achieve the very thing that you are setting out to achieve. Because if your relationships aren't in order, then you will never find satisfaction in life. We were not created as, as, as lone rangers on this earth. We were created in the image of God. And God is a relationship, right? We believe that God is three persons in one trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So God himself is a relationship of love, okay, and that's why if we don't have this love in our relationships and our relationships are broken, then you'll never find satisfaction in life. And that's why today's topic is the perfect like setup for that series that we're going to start in two weeks. What I'm calling today's topic is letting go of your past. And I'm basing it on this passage from Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, where St. Paul says this. He says, me, I lived a full life. I lived a very successful life in many, many, many ways. This is St. Paul's writing this at the end of his life. But he says, even despite all my past success, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He's saying, I lived a very full life, but I ain't done. There's still a lot more stuff that God wants to do in my life, and I want to accomplish for God. So therefore, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know what St. Paul tells us in his verse? St. Paul tells us something psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors, all those people will work very, very hard to get to what St. Paul told us many years ago, which is this, is that your past is connected to your future. And if you aren't relating properly with yesterday, you'll never find success tomorrow. Or said another way, is that I cannot realize my future if I am still reacting to my past. 
St. Paul says, my ability to achieve success in the future is ultimately linked with my ability to move past whatever was yesterday. Be it success or failure or frustration, whatever it is. We'll get into that. The example that I always give, that I always think to myself, and I'm sure I've told many of you guys, is when you're driving in a car, you got a windshield and you got a rear view mirror. You got a windshield and you got a rear view mirror. How big is the windshield? This big. How big is the rear view? This big. The makers of the car were trying to teach us a very important lesson there. You should spend this much time looking forward, or you should spend this much time looking backward. But may God help the person who's driving and spending his whole time looking in that rear view mirror, and he's looking here the whole time. It is inevitable that person will crash because you cannot drive in the rear view. You need the rear view because you need to know what's behind you. It's good to glance at it and to remember. But you need, if you want to you get somewhere in life, you got to be looking forward. And many of us in life, let's be honest, we're driving in the rear view. That we, our whole life is dictated by stuff that happened yesterday, by past hurts, by past disappointments, by, by bitterness or resentment or something like that. And what St. Paul is telling us right here is whether or not you realize it or don't realize it, that is affecting you today. And many of the problems, like let's be honest, today we're going to be honest, okay, because we need to, we need, like the video with the bag, we need to be honest today. So forgive me, we're all going to go deep inside of places that we may not want to go. Many of the problems that you have in a relationship today are caused by your inability to deal with stuff in the past. Many of your problems in your relationships today, which you're blaming him or you're blaming her or you're blaming your kids or you're blaming your parents or you're blaming, you're blaming, you're blaming, you're blaming, you're blaming and it's everybody else, many of your problems in your relationships today are caused by your inability to properly deal with past events. And you may not realize it, but those things will affect you. And they will continue to affect you. And they won't stop affecting you until you learn to deal with them in a proper way. Like St. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. Why? So that I can reach forward for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing about negative things in our past, negative emotions. Somehow, I don't understand why, but somehow the negative you have positive things in your past and negative things in your past, just like I do, everyone does. You have negative, you have positive, negative, negative emotions and positive emotions. The positive ones jump in and jump out. But the negative ones go on replay, don't they? The negative ones, the hurts, the frustrations, the disappointments, the betrayals, the grudges, the bitterness, those things, the positive jump in and then they fly out. But the negative ones, those are on the, on the, on the replay cycle. Okay, those are on the repeat cycle. The positive kind of on the shuffle. They kind of go in and they kind of go out. But the negative ones, if there's bitterness, if there's anger, if there's resentment, those are not going to leave until you unclick those out of your iTunes and you throw those things in the trash. They're not going to leave by themselves and they will continue to surface. Especially, you know what makes it especially worse? When you have, again, you have positive and you have negative. When those negatives are validated by people who are close to us, when I feel like a failure, and then my boss told me, you're a failure, and he made me feel like a failure, and I respected him, then it'll always be in there. When I feel kind of unloved or insecure, and then my mom or my dad, then that just validates it, and that cements that sucker in there. Because before it was a lie from the devil, now it was cemented by someone that I respect and that I love, and I promise you, 
If you do not deal with this baggage, it will continue to sabotage your relationships one after the other. So today, we need to learn how to deal with our past. And I'm going to talk specifically about three kinds of baggage that many of us are carrying from yesterday, and it is affecting our ability to relate and achieve in the tomorrow. First one. We're going to start easy and we're going to get harder, even though we're starting hard. I must give up my grudges. I must give up my grudges. And we're going to go straight. I said we're start easy and get harder. No, we're actually starting with hard. Okay, so they're all hard. We're going straight to that place in your heart that you don't want to talk about. Straight to that place in your heart where you are holding on to something from 1989 as far as I'm concerned. Okay, where so-and-so said or did or didn't or forgot and all those things inside of us are poison to your soul. There's a verse in the Bible, I think I think it's in Job, but I'm not sure exactly. It says, wrath kills a foolish man. Wrath kills a foolish man. Why? Because when you have that inside of you, and if you don't learn to deal with those grudges, you are poisoning yourself. Why? Look what St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. He says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. He says all those grudges, all that bitterness, all that resentment, all that anger, what do you do with it? You get rid of that. You put that thing away. The, the, the expression, let it be put away from you, is, is roll down the window and chuck it out. Don't, don't deal with it another second. You just, any time, you just put it away. Why do we hold on to grudges? Think to yourself. You got a grudge, like I said, for years. Or for, for, I don't know how long it's been. You got some resentment, bitterness inside. Why do we hold on to it? You know why we hold on to it? I'll tell you what happens in me. You tell me if this happens to you too as a fellow human being. We think that so-and-so hurt me. Well, if I let go of it, I'm letting him off the hook. I had to make him suffer. I had to make sure he doesn't get away scot-free. So I'm going to hold it against him. You know what that's the equivalent of doing? I want to hurt this man. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a, a, a shotgun like this, okay? And I'm going to go right up to his face. I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to fire it into my own. But the kickback might bruise his nose. That's what we do when we hold on to grudges to make sure that people don't get off scot-free. Ah, look, I bruised his nose. Yeah, but you shot your own face off in the process. And that's what happens when we hold on to grudges. We think we're hurting the other person. We're not hurting the other person. We're hurting ourselves. We're killing ourselves by allowing this kickback to be inside of us. Why? It is the dumbest thing for ourselves and the most harmful thing to hold on to grudges. Number one, you are holding on. I'm going to give you many of them here. Number one, you are holding on to something which the other person may have forgotten about 10 years ago. And you are holding on to something. That person hurt you, said sorry, and you said, oh, okay. And then you held on to it, and they went away. They moved to, to, to California. They live a nice, peaceful life. They joined the monastery. They're like living in heaven with God, and they're on cloud nine. And you're sitting here saying, yeah, I'm going to show them. I'm going to hold on to them. And, I, and then when they come, say hi. Yeah, I'm going to ah, get them. You holding on to something that everyone else moved past, and you're still letting yourself be suffering from it. I read a nice quote. It said that holding a grudge is like letting someone Live rent-free inside your head. It's nice, isn't it? 
holding on to a grudge is like letting somebody else live rent-free inside your head. They move past it. Number two, even if, even if they haven't moved past it, even if you want to hurt them, is the goal to hurt the other person or is the goal to heal myself? I never met one person who's ever told me, you know, I found healing from that hurt by holding on to the grudge as long as possible. That brought me true healing in life. Is the goal to hurt the other person or is the goal to heal myself? If the goal is to heal myself, chuck it out the window. Another reason why. You know what it is when you hold on to a grudge? This expression, I don't ever want to say this expression, and I don't like it when people say this. So-and-so makes me so mad. You know what that is? That's weakness. You know why? Because I just gave control of my happiness into your hands. He makes me so mad. Why you give him control over your life? Like I said, he could have moved on way past there, and you were living in a state of weakness by giving control to this other person. If he hurt me last week, why am I let him continue to hurt me this week and the following week and the following week by holding on to that anger? And then the last one, based on this verse, the last reason you need to give up your grudges is because if nothing else, you yourself need to be forgiven someday, don't you? Anybody here ready to bank on the fact that you will never make another sin the rest of your life? Well, the Bible says it very clear, is that you forgive as you have been forgiven. And when we say the Lord's Prayer together, Every time you say the Lord's Prayer, you, not me, you say it. I'm not putting the words in your mouth. You put your own words in your mouth. You say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, forgive me for when I told that kind of little lie the same way I forgave so-and-so when they kind of lied to me. Oh, no, wait a minute. I haven't forgiven them. I throw darts at their picture every morning before I leave to work. And you, out of your own mouth, are saying, Lord, forgive me the way I forgive. You got guts to pray that prayer and you're still holding on to a grudge. You know, when Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer, every statement had power and had meaning. But only one of the statements did Jesus go back and emphasize the importance of it. And that is this one. After he gave the Lord's Prayer, he said very clearly, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He didn't expound on our Father in heaven. He didn't expound on lead us not into temptation. He didn't expound on give us this day our daily bread. But the one that he said, hold on, I gave you the Lord's Prayer. Let's rewind. I'll make sure y'all get this. Let's forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Said another way, the grudge is not worth it. It's not worth it. The unforgiveness is not worth it. This is the one that I, I know many people heard me talk about this. I get kind of worked up. And I get worked up when someone comes to me and says, I can't forgive so-and-so. I say, what do you mean you can't forgive so-and-so? Do you know what you're saying? You're saying I, I refuse God's forgiveness for me. Don't say you can't forgive so-and-so. So-and-so hurt you in the body. But they have oh, no more power over you. But you have the power through your unforgiveness to kill your soul. Like you're killing your soul. So-and-so hurt you in, in your career. But you're killing your soul by, letting, by holding on to it. It's not worth it. There's nothing that's worth it. Why again? Why so-and-so hurt me today? Why am I let him hurt me for all of eternity? I gotta let go of it. Jesus said it this way in, in Luke chapter 6. Again, after the Lord's Prayer, which he gave early in Luke 6. Okay, I'm sorry, it was Matthew 6. But he gave this in the, in, when he was expounding on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. 
For with the same measure that you use, they will be measured back to you. Some of us need to take that one. If you struggle with forgiveness, and I'm not trying to make light of it, okay? I know it's a hard thing for a lot of us. We've really been hurt in life, and I'm not trying to make light of it in one, one way. But what I am saying is, no matter how painful it's been, the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You have a golden opportunity here. Those of you who have been hurt, I'm speaking right to you. You have a golden opportunity here for the sake of your own eternity and your own forgiveness. Because with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You have the opportunity, if you can find forgiveness in your heart, to open up a door of forgiveness for your soul. You know what I always think of when I think of this verse? I always think, and this is what I always tell people who say this. I sin against others, and I sin against God, and I make sins. Other people sin against me. You know what we're going to do with those two sins? We're going to tie them together. And you choose. Either we throw them both away, or we take full judgment on both of them. You choose. It's your choice. Your sins are tied to the sins of your neighbor. We're going to tie them together. And if you choose to remember them, that's fine. God will remember your sins. If you choose to take those sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west, to the bottom of the ocean, to nail them to the cross, then God says, I will do the exact same things with your sins. You choose how much forgiveness you are going to get in life. <clears throat> is this easy? Is this easy? It's easy for me to stand up here and say it. It ain't easy to do it. But we need to do it. We need to realize that God is the judge, not us. Let him, like, let's let him be the judge. And let's just leave myself to worry about my stuff. And you know what? So-and-so hurt me. Look, so-and-so hurt me. That doesn't mean I need to be best friends with them. Forgive doesn't mean forget. Okay, that's, that's what trips a lot of people up. But I can't forget. I didn't say forget. I said forgive. Forgive and forget are not the same thing. Somebody hurts my child, I'm never going to forget that. I'm going to remember that every time I see him, and I'm going to protect my child when they come by. But that doesn't mean I can't forgive them. doesn't mean I can't let go. doesn't mean I can't stop replaying it over and over in my head and being bitter. Yes, I will protect my child. And I'll probably protect your child if I know that guy's. But, but that doesn't mean that I can't forgive. Forgiving and forgetting are not the same thing. Whoever connected those two did a disservice to the rest of us. There's that picture that I, I see in a lot of people's homes that Jesus, when I forgive, I forget. That's not in the Bible, okay? It's not in the Bible. At least not the Bible that I read, okay? It's not, nothing that says when I forgive, I forget. Sometimes you can't forget. Somebody hurt you, you can't forget. But you certainly can forgive. And you need to forgive. So my question to you, number one, who are you holding a grudge against? Friend? Spouse? From what a spouse did way back in? Or what a spouse is doing now? Parent? Boss, co-worker, neighbor, friend, church. Do you know a lot of people hold grudges against the church? A lot of people got grudges against me who never even met me. And I, and I meet these people all the time. And they never even met me. But they got a grudge against the church, the establishment, because it's something that happened to them when they were a kid. And they got a grudge against the church. What are you holding on to? What is it that you're holding on to? I'm promising you, whatever you're holding on to today is stopping you from achieving what God wants you to achieve tomorrow. I read a nice quote by a guy named Bernard Meltzer. He said, when you forgive, you in no way change the past, but you sure do change the future. When you forgive, 
you in no way change the past, but you sure do change the future. That's number one. We've got to give up our grudges. Number two, I must give up my grief. I must give up my grief. And for, for this one, we're all going to need to pull out our little baby violins, okay, and play our sad song for all those who are in the woe is me category, the pity party category, and the my problems are the worst category. And again, I'm making light of it, but I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just trying to keep everybody entertained here, okay? Is it wrong to have sorrow? Is it wrong to be sad? No. Absolutely not. Don't let anyone tell you it's wrong to be sad. Sorrow is not bad. Grief is not necessarily bad. Jesus himself said, blessed are those who mourn. So mourning isn't bad. What's bad? Moaning. Mourning for a season, for a period, fine. Moaning? Bad. Self-pity. Woe is me. My life, my circumstances is the worst. You know how the rest of the song goes. Look, there are many people, and I'm sure there's some people sitting here today, who are using circumstances from yesterday as an excuse to not relate properly with tomorrow. That's something that happened, a set of circumstances, and you're going to live the rest of your, and yeah, it was bad, but you're going to live the rest of your life making excuses for yourself based on whatever happened in the past. And I'm telling you, you can sit and make excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. That isn't going to stop you from sabotaging your relationships. And you know what that, those excuses become? Psychology, people, you all know this becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, because of this, I can never be happy in marriage. You know what? You will never be happy in marriage. I promise you. Oh, because of this, I'll never be successful in my career. I promise you, you are 100% right. You will never be successful in your career. Because of this, I can never really have close friends. I, I'll never be able to have like a real brother-sister relationship with people because people always hurt me. I promise you, you will find something to validate exactly what it is you believe. Because according to your faith, Jesus said, let it be to you. I'm not saying we can't have pain in our life or we shouldn't weep or we shouldn't cry. We all have pain. But we cannot let the pain hold us hostage. We'll go to an example right now in the Bible of King David. King David in the Old Testament was a man of God, a good man of God. He was one of the best kings of Israel, chosen by God to do so many fantastic things. But David's life was far from perfect. Right, we're going to read a story now from, from 2 Samuel chapter 12 about a time when David made a big boo-boo in life and had to pay the consequences of his big boo-boo. David's big boo-boo, as you know, he was a married man. He was a king. All right, and then he saw a lady named Bathsheba, who looking kind of nice over there and the other across the fence. Okay, and he kind of wink over there. You know what I'm saying? And then he invited Bathsheba was married to another man who was an army guy who was fighting for King David. So he kind of invited her over, and you know, a little thing led to another thing. Okay, next thing you know, she's pregnant. But because she's pregnant, David, reputable man, has to make sure that nobody knows that he did this foul play here. So he does more foul play. He has her husband assassinated, basically, has him killed in war. So now David has committed adultery. He has committed murder in essence, okay, because he basically gave orders to send this guy named Uriah, send him out to the front of the battle, and then when no one's looking, everyone retreat and leave him out there by himself. Okay, so he basically committed murder against him. He committed adultery against his wife. 
And he lied on top of all that. So he got three of the top ten commandments. He knocked them all down just in that one act. And because of that, because God was not happy, the child who she was pregnant, Bathsheba was pregnant with, when the child came out, the child became very, very ill. And David was torn apart by this, and he was grieving over the illness of the child. That's where we'll pick up the story here in verse chapter 12, verse 16. It said, David therefore pleaded with God for the child. David always prayed and prayed and prayed, and God would love to answer his prayers. But here, David pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat food with them. David, it says, couldn't, couldn't think, couldn't sleep, couldn't eat, couldn't do anything. He was just mourning, praying. Surely God will answer this man of God's prayer, right? Seven days later, on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. The servants say the child died and they're terrified to tell David because David was in, in a state of depression and basically what they're saying is they think he might do some harm to himself or harm to somebody else. He's the king. He just orders and people's heads get cut off. So they're terrified to tell him because David is really grieving this situation. He'll never be the same ever again, right? Watch how David, who is a man of God, who, yes, he made a mistake, but he was still a man of God at heart. Watch how he deals with grief in his past. He does three things, okay, that we'll see over the next coming verses. Number one, first thing he did, he learned to accept what cannot be changed. He accepted that the child was dead and the child was not coming back to life. Verse 22 and 23, David said, while the child was, basically David stopped praying and, and got up and showered himself and had a meal. They were all like, how, why you stop praying? Like we, we thought when the child was dead, you'd pray more. He said, no, when the child was alive, I fasted and wept, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? You know what? As insensitive as this sounds, okay. And it sounds like David's an insensitive guy. This is the way we need to live. Some of us need to make this exact same statement that you are grieving and you are mourning for something that will not change. And some of us need to just man up and just look in the mirror and say, look, why should I continue to mourn about this, it's done, and I cannot change it, and that's that. The key to peace of mind in life is the ability to do just this, to accept what's done is done. And, and, and David, he prayed, he fasted, and God basically said, no. So after that, we move on, and we have to find a way to continue to move forward in life despite this. What David taught us right here is that even though we cannot control the events that happen to us, we can 100% control our response to the events that happen to us. We can control the reach of that event. That event affected me, but I can put an end to it and say, I will not continue to allow that event to affect me anymore. I choose to accept it, and I choose to move on. Why? Because my God is still alive, and I am still alive. And the fact that God is alive, and I am alive, means that life ain't over. It may be over for this situation or for this child, but God has a future for me and he has a plan for me even despite this tough situation. Except what cannot be changed. The other thing David did is he learned to play it down, pray it up. Play it down, pray it up. 
we usually do the opposite. Look what David did. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20. It says, David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. What did David do? He didn't continue to say why and how come and this is the worst. He didn't play it up. He prayed it up. We usually do the opposite. When tough times hit, like I said, these negative, these grieving moments, they're like a tape that will continue to run in your head. And you can feed the flames and you continue to make it worse and you continue to repeat it and talk about it and tell the whole wide world about it and run through your head when you're lying there asleep. Or you can say, enough, it's done, Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Which of the two are you doing more of with your grief? You're spending more time focused on the grief or spending more time taking those, that grief up to the one who lives in heaven? There's a, a song out there on the radio, which I love one of the words in it. It's based on a psalm, and it says, I will lift my eyes to the maker of the mountain I can't climb. Y'all know that song? I will lift my eyes to the maker of the mountain I can't climb, to the calmer of the oceans raging wild. Here's a mountain in front of me, but I can't climb it. Instead of being bitter that I can't climb it, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look up to the one who's right above the mountain, who makes the mountain jump if he wants, and who makes me to float and to do what I, I'm going to lift my eyes. Not uh, I'm going to lift my eyes off the problem, and I'm going to lift it up to the maker of the mountain or whatever that problem might be, the one who controls it all. And then the last thing that David did, which we need to learn to do, is to focus on what is left, not on what is lost. Focus on what is left, not on what is lost. After David got up, washed his face, had himself a meal, went to the temple and worshipped the Lord. And it says this in verse 24. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. You know what David realized here after his son died? He realized, you know what? My life isn't as bad as, as my life's really not that bad. I got a lot going for me. I had a beautiful wife. Yeah, how it came across. It's okay. Like, she's my beautiful wife now. Okay. And my beautiful wife still has a womb that's open. So he went, comforted her, and then he went in to, with her. Okay. And then they ended up with a child. And that child ended up being, after David, the, second, the greatest king after David. So, I mean, he's got a lot going for him. Like, you still got God. You still got your health. You're David, like you wrote a book in the Bible. Like, you're still in good shape here in life, all right? Life ain't over. And many of us need to hear the same advice, that your life ain't over. That you're sitting there saying, because of this, I can't. That's not true. You still got a lot going for you. I guarantee you. That if I take you and I bring you up here on stage and I say, everybody, tell me, what's this person got? I bet you we could name a lot of stuff that you got going for you. And I bet you everyone here in this room has something in life that someone else out there is envious of. And if you don't believe that somebody's envious of your life in some way, next time we take a mission trip over to Africa, some of those places come with me and we'll go see if someone's envious of your life. Go out there and walk in the streets. Whatever day it was, I was on the metro. It was on Wednesday or Thursday. Man, it was the coldest night in the whole wide world. I'm walking by, and I, that, that guy, I'm, I just couldn't. I couldn't understand how someone, like, we walk from the house to the car, and we go crazy. And people out there sleeping in that stuff, man. I guarantee you there's someone out there who's envious of you. Yes, your life is not perfect. Yes, there's stuff that's bad. But let's be fair and say there's a lot that's good in your life, too. And it's your choice which you focus on. 
talked about grudges. We talked about grief. And then the third thing we must learn to give up. If we are going to live healthy lives, if we are going to relate to our future and have healthy relationships, is we must, must, must learn to give up guilt. This is the worst of them all. You know why guilt is so bad? You know why guilt is so bad? Some people are guilty. They feel like, I did a sin, so I feel guilt about it. And I always tell them, the sin, forget about the sin. You need to repent over your guilt. Because the sin is not the sin. The guilt is the sin. You know why? Because you know what you do when you continue to hold on to a sin. You make God a liar. And you, when you hold on to guilt, you look God in the face and say, God, you're a liar. You know why? Because every page of scripture from start to finish tells us about how God forgives sin. It says about how, like I said, from the east to the west, as far as he removed our transgressions from us, as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. That he has taken the handwriting of our sins and the requirement of our sins that was against us, and he has nailed it to the cross, and he has crucified it right there, and it was buried with him in the tomb. And he has taken all those verses, you take all those verses, and you put them all next to each other, and you say to them, I don't believe you, God. I'm calling you a liar, God, when you hold on to guilt. This weekend, my wife is out of town. That's why she's not here today. Okay, so my wife is in California just for the weekend uh, attending a wedding. So she's going to come back later today. Okay, and I'm, um, you know, I miss my wife and, you know, I miss my wife. Okay, but surely when she comes back, I mean, let's say not surely, hypothetically, hypothetically, hypothetically. Let's say I, you know, was by myself all the weekend. I, I did something like I, like I, uh, you know, I didn't do the dishes. I, I, did, I know I didn't do the dishes, okay? You know, I, I, I messed up, you know, I got, I, we had, we watching a movie on popcorns all over the place, okay? So, so I, I messed up, okay? And I know I messed up. And if I get today, I'll get to the vacuum early. But if not, it's not, it's not a big deal. She's better at that stuff than me anyway. So let's say she comes home, okay, and, and she misses me so much, okay, and then she walks in and she sees, like I said, the kitchen, disaster. She's going to say, I told you, vacuum the popcorn off the couch at least, okay. I told you, if you eat popcorn on yourself, okay, don't blame the kids. The kids eat much neater than you, at least off the couch, okay, because then it goes inside the nooks and crannies and stuff like that. So I say, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, forgive me. I'm an idiot. I'm the dumbest guy in the whole wide world. You know I can't be left alone for like two days by myself like that. And she'll say, okay, I knew you were an idiot when I married you. So like, not a big deal. Hey, how was your weekend? And I say, you know what? Ah, man, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I left the popcorn there and I'm so dumb. And she says, look, it's okay. Come give me a hug. Tell me how your weekend. Let me tell you about my weekend. I say, no, no, no. I'm so dumb. Can't believe it. And I lock myself in the room. What's she going to say? She's going to say, hey, dummy. She say, I already vacuumed the popcorn. I told you I forgave you for the popcorn. Forget about the popcorn. Popcorn's over. Come give me a hug and tell me about your weekend. Honestly, I feel that's how we, God is with us too. That's how God is with us. We go to God and we say, God, we're sorry. We confess, we repent, 
God says, okay, that's fine. I forgive you. Hey, let me show you this nice verse in the Bible. We say, no, I can't read the Bible. I'm so bad. I can't. God says, I know you're bad. I forgive you. Let me show you this nice promise I have for you. I have something very nice. I have some grace that I want to give to you. And we say no, and we lock ourselves in this cage of guilt and shame. And the only thing that we're doing is putting more and more distance between us and God. Because God said it very clearly in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm not saying we don't need to confess. I know we don't want to take it to the opposite extreme and be lackadaisical towards sin. That's bad, but that's not what I'm talking about. We don't want to be on the extreme of sin consumes us. And God is saying, I love you as a spouse who misses her husband. I want to spend time with you. And all you're doing is bringing old stuff, old stuff, old stuff that I've forgotten and I've moved past. How many of us see this verse and we say, God, you're wrong. We say, God, we don't believe you. With God, there's always hope. There's always forgiveness. That's what Christmas is all about, people. Isn't that what Christmas is? Is that forgiveness came and took flesh. Forgiveness, salvation came and became tangible. Had hands, had feet, had eyes, had ears. That salvation, that forgiveness came to us. And he came to this earth and he came near to us. And he said, everyone that I come near, I offer forgiveness. I offer salvation. I offer grace. The example that I gave on Christmas night for those who were there, forgive me if you were, I'll say it again for those who weren't. On Christmas night, we were talking about it. And I was saying, imagine that you have a king, okay? And that king builds a nice, fancy house, palace, mansion, huge something, nice piece of property over here on the corner of a fair, like very nice. And then he invites you and says, okay, I'm going to give you the keys. I'm going to go away for a little bit. And you are my son. And I let you stay in here. And I'm going to leave you for a little bit, and I'm going to go away. And then you, because you're not a very smart son, you mess up the house, and you break the windows, and you party a little too hard, and you burn stuff and destroy stuff, and the master comes back, and the place is a dump. What is that master going to do? What is that father going to do with his house and with his child? What's that father going to do? Is that father going to say, oh, well, we gave it our best shot. Bring the wrecking ball in and, and, and smash it. What's that father going to do? You destroyed the master's palace. What's the master going to do? He can pull out his checkbook. He can write a check to whoever. He's going to fix the house. It's not your house. It's his house. It's my house. Even if, I don't, even if you don't care, I care. I don't want the neighbors to look at my house and say my house is a dump. I don't want the neighbors to say I can't take care of my house. Even if you broke my house, it's my house, and I will fix my house. And I may have a word with you about what you did in my house, but ultimately you're my son. That's my house. There's no such thing as, as, as we hold on to guilt when God is doing his best to nail it to the cross. <clears throat> if you're torturing yourself with guilt and shame, or worse, you're torturing your spouse with guilt and shame, or your friends with guilt and shame, or anybody who's relating to you, your guilt and shame is torturing them enough. You need to look to the one who offers grace freely. And we need to get past our guilt. Some of us, maybe what we need, one of the best things about the Orthodox Church, for those who are unfamiliar with it, is we have the sacrament of confession. And, and the thing about confession is, those who are in it 
and are supposed to be doing it hate it. And those who are outside say, y'all, people come to me and say, wait a minute, you do that for free? Like you don't charge people for that? I say, what do you mean you charge people? They say, in our church, we want to sit with the pastor of the church and we want to like talk. We cost us money. And I say, no, 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 it costs money. It's free. And it's free for everybody. And we don't take advantage of it. The best thing about confession is you come to, to the priest and you say your sins. And the priest says to you, God has absolved you. And you know how nice those words are to hear? We hear it so much if we confess for a long time that we don't appreciate it. But you know how nice it is to hear? You get validation. And someone is saying, your sins are forgiven. God has absolved you. And it's just like when Jesus said to the woman, go and sin no more. Okay, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. How beautiful that is. That's given freely to us. And we holding on to our guilt. I'm going to leave you all with this passage from Psalm 103. If you struggle with any of the three that I talked about, grudges, grief, or guilt, Psalm 103 is a fantastic psalm that you should dig into when you go home. I just got a little excerpt here from verse 2 to verse 5. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. He's talking about now the past. He wants to deal with all the past. Who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. If I had to summarize this in one phrase, I would say this is God who is trying to do his best to help you move past the past so that you can reach forward to the future. St. Paul said it best. He said, one thing I do. Hey, St. Paul, what's the key to your success, the key to your longevity? The key to your continuing ascent in your spiritual life. The key to you in that same epistle of Philippians saying that you're content no matter what. That you rejoice even when you're in prison. What's the key to that? He says the key is simple. I forget those things which are behind and I continue to reach forward. Because I know that no matter what it is that's behind, that God has a great future for me. And I cannot realize my future if I'm still reacting to my past. I cannot achieve what God has for me tomorrow if I am still responding to what God put or what happened to me yesterday. Can't drive on the road if I'm always looking in the windshield. Each one ask yourself, which of these three, which of these three pieces of baggage do you need to let go of today? Some of us, it's grudges. Who are you holding a grudge against? What is it that you are thinking that by holding on, you're making it better, but honestly, all you're doing is making it worse. You have to make a decision. Do you want to continue to be bitter or you want to get better? You can't do both. You cannot get bitter. You cannot be bitter and better at the same time. You choose. You want to move forward or you want to continue to use the past as ammunition and beat that person over the head with it. Number two, grief. Who here needs to give up their grief? Who, if it's you, are you not accepting what cannot be changed? Are you playing it down and praying it up as you should be? And number three, are you focusing on what you have or what you've lost? And then finally, which one of us needs to deal with the guilt who is ignoring the word of God and calling God a liar? 2014 is now 12 days in. So by now, officially, we've all forgotten our New Year's resolutions. Okay, it's 14 days, 12 days in. So officially, they're all done. Now it's time to make a real resolution and make a real change. Now that all the funny ones are gone, and let's make this the year 
that we put behind what needs to stay behind. And we get past all that stuff in the rearview mirror and we lay hold of what God has in store for us in the future. Let's stand up together say a prayer, please. <clears throat> in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for everything that you are and everything that you give to us and that you offer for us freely. You freely offer to us to move past our past and, and, and to get past the things which are like weighing us down. And you have a, a beautiful future for each and every single person. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to realize that. You know, Lord, how, how difficult it is to let go of some of the stuff that's, that, that we've been holding on for so long. It feels like it's a part of us. And we don't even know what it would mean to let go of it, but we trust in you. Today, we want to just take like one step. Just one step, Lord. We don't know where the step will lead to, but just one step to say, I refuse to live with this guilt. I refuse to hold on to this grudge anymore. I refuse to feel sorry for myself over what's happened. I accept it. I pray about it, and I move on forward knowing that what I have is better than what is, is, uh, that I lost. Help us, Lord, just to take this one step and trust you and, and to be able to realize the fullness of all that you have for us. Pray, Lord, for every person who's bowing their heads right now, that you would work inside their heart in a special way to let them, to help them to let go of what they know they need to let go of. And I pray that you would strengthen them and renew their, their youth like that of an eagle. I pray this in the name of your only begotten Son, our Lord and our God and our Savior and our forgiver and our healer, Jesus Christ. And with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Reminder that next week we're off, okay? And also a reminder about leisure groups. Uh, in the back of your handout is a, group, a list of all the leisure groups going on. Everybody's welcome to come join us for one. Have a great week, guys.